This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. The best ideas come about 20 seconds too late in my experience. Scott Owen. There's a mute button, people, don't worry. And Adam Pace. Well, look, I'm going to feel like you know, I, I'm going to shot Barbie's mother. Starting now. It's not quite do or die time for the Brisbane Raw in the A-League men's competition, but we're getting pretty damn close as we approach the final two months of the regular season. Hello everyone, it's James Scott and Adam here with you for another edition of the Brisbane Football Review, and we've got a bit of a different show coming your way this week. We've got just the one A-League match to recap with the women on an international break, and it was a 2-2 draw against Western United, and then we're going to talk about some of the bigger picture things going on, including something that really leapt out to me during Friday night's game. But before we get into that, probably should go back and uh, say I did listen to our NPL preview last week, and I will apologize once again for sounding like Janice from Friends. Turns out I was uh, dealing with what turned out to be a pretty major sinus infection. So uh, yeah, we're, we're battling at this point of the season. Scott, how's that cough? It's still here lingering, unfortunately. And when you were talking about apologies, I thought you might have been going to make a very early apology for your prediction about St. George Willowong after the feedback you got on that. That was some quite strong feedback you got on that prediction last week. Well, I I might apologise if I ever commentate a St. George Willowong game this season, but we'll see how that goes. Adam, how are you going? I'm good, and uh, you also owe our good friend Liam an apology as well. He he said hello uh, in the comments earlier today. So so yeah, you're uh, you're annoying a few people uh, out that way. So to be fair, I so stay, stay off the left side. To be fair, I annoy a lot of people. It's actually kind of my job. So <laughs> yeah, I'll do what I can. Yeah, but stay off the west side is my advice, James. <laughs> Duly noted. But um, yeah, well, it was actually. A big weekend and uh, if you haven't listened to the NPL Sunday recap uh, that is available on our podcast channels as well with Scott and Adam uh, running through all the results on what was a fairly eventful uh, set of matches and quite frankly for me the biggest surprise Adam was that um, the rain didn't claim as many games as it normally does in NPL men's round one yeah, uh, I think the apocalyptic rains that normally uh, seem to uh, derail a uh, derail the the NPL season came a week early, which uh, thankfully I think that's a win for scheduling. Yeah, I suppose it is. Uh, anyway, well, actually, that's a funny thing. So we may as well start off with a story. I was actually meant to be commentating the NPL uh, season opener between Gold Coast Knights and Wynnum, but um, yeah, because I could barely stay awake for Wednesday, Thursday and most of Friday. Uh, we wound up having to get Josh Masamisi in to cover uh, for me as well, which is why I wasn't able to do pre-game with Hinksy either on Friday night. And um, turns out I actually missed a pretty decent finish as the Raw... Look, they're not in that late magic... No, they're not in that late magic stage like they were with the uh, early part of the 2010s under Postacoglu and Mulvey, but... Um, Scott, they are starting to find a little bit of that dramatic flair for the late finishes of late under Ruben Zadkovic, aren't they? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, sorry, <laughs> just a, a direction there. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's a case of... Uh, and it keeps on coming up as a theme about this side. Look, you can think whatever you want about the club. You can think about what you want at the moment. And we'll get into that sort of stuff in a rather topic about everything that's going around off the pitch. But you just cannot deny this squad 
they, they, they just never say die attitude. And once again, it came to the fore. That you would think that, at, that after the way they conceded that second goal would tend to go, yeah, it's almost in a lot of cases, you could almost say that, yeah, what, 2 1, uh, it did well. But they always keep on pushing, and they're rewarded for that endeavour with Jonas Markowski getting a um, that big vital uh, equaliser. And it, yes, it was only one point, but look, it, that could be very vital. Uh, in in the run home in the finals, Scott, I'm finding myself yeah. playing like wanting to play both sides of the street here, and that the late equaliser was an awful lot of fun. It was good to see them pushing right through to the end of the second half. But the other way is, it still felt like two points dropped against what is the bottom side in the A League. Yeah, it's nice to see you still sitting fairly and squarely on that fence there, James. But you're right, it is very much a glass half full, glass half empty approach. It depends which way you want to look at it because the, the positive approach is that they went down a goal twice in the game and were able to come back and get and get back into it and get at least something out of the game. And you're right, the late goals have been a, a staple of the Raw's history, not just under Mulvey and Antipos Cogba, but under Alo- John Aloisi and others around just around in the history of the club as well. So late goals have been a speciality for the Raw, so it's great to see them bringing those back and hopefully we see more of them going forward, although winners, not equalizers, would be nice. But that's one way of looking at it. The other thing is going into the game, though, you're playing against a team on the bottom of the table who are coming off a short a short recovery break and you've dropped points at home. So it depends on which way you want to look at it. In the circumstances of the game, your best player getting injured after, after, after half an hour and getting through the end of the first half, you get a point. Or do you want to say you dropped two points at home? It depends on which way you want to look at it. I think it is not the worst point, but it might be one where you look back at the end of the season. And think, if they got those extra two points, it might have been very, very useful. Yeah. I'll also say as well, just to, in, about Western United, is that they're, they're a team that, you know, they, they seem to be a team that, yes, they are at the bottom of the ladder and they are six points adrift, but their performances don't suggest that they're a lot better than that. And I think what, what has happened with them is that basically in the space of five days, they've dropped five points. They, they, they basically... Uh, dropped the win uh, against M- Melbourne Victory on the, on Tuesday night where Damien De Silva scored two goals in, in late stoppage time. And they've also dropped two points here with uh, Joris Markovsky uh, scoring the equaliser in the 91st minute. So it, it's, I think you know, John Aloisi has got his own problems. With, and he spoke about in the press conference about you know the mindset of the side, the young side, not being able to close out games. But I also say that, you know, yeah, you can, you can look and focus and say, oh, you just dropped two points to the bottom team in the ladder. They're a bit more deceptive. I think they're actually a decent team. I think they're just other scores that, you know, there are no easy games in the A-League. And at the end of the day, you've got to bring your A-game every week or otherwise you, you, ain't, you ain't winning. Yeah, well, I think the fact that they're dead last on the league as well is a massive underachievement for a side that we all expected to, at the very least, contend for a top six spot. But in that same regard, you look at the two games that they've played against the Raw so far this season. There was a 2-1 win down at Amy Park. Now, we know... Well, I've at least theorised, okay, I don't want to throw this on you two as well, but I've at least theorised that the playing squad started to, at the very least, hear that Ross Aloisi was on his way out prior to that game because it was such a massive change uh, in performance from the game against Adelaide earlier that week. But... Western United caused them all sorts of problems in that game down at Amy Park, and they also caused all sorts of problems here in Brisbane on 
short rest, as you mentioned, Adam, and also on what was a stupidly muggy and disgusting, like disgustingly hot night in Brisbane. So, I, I my question to you, Scott, is it possible that Western United might just be a little bit of a bogey team for the Roar as well? Well, there have been in the history of the Alex, no doubt about that. Western United have certainly had the measure of the Brisbane Roar since they've entered the competition, what, four years ago now, somewhere around that mark. So they certainly have been. And, and you look at the circumstances from Western United's point of view, it's a really, really good point away from home if you ignore the fact that, again, they've coughed up the late equaliser because the weather, certainly hot and humid conditions, is something they would not be used to down there in Victoria. And also, they're very much undermanned right now. They have a lot of players unavailable with injury. You see the amount of young players they've got in that side. That's not That wasn't the plan going into the season. There's a lot of players unavailable from their perspective. So that's probably why they're... Having, a, having the season that they are, but they certainly were pretty good value for the point up here on Friday night. And look, they're not, they're probably not going to make the top six from here, Western United, but they're certainly going to be able to challenge teams for the rest of the year. And they are, they've a, a decent chance of, of getting off the bottom of the table with the way, with that sort of performance. Yeah, I am expecting Western United to play spoiler as the season goes along, but I just keep coming back to my overarching feeling for the whole week leading up to the game was. That was a must-win game for the rule. Like after the loss down on the Central Coast, the three of us were uh, talking, and we all sort of came up with our expectations for which games were winnable as the season went on. And that Western United game was probably the one that I looked at and said, out of the remaining games, that was the one that they needed all three points on. Like pl- plain and simple, that's what they needed to get all three points on. And Adam, I suppose if you're taking it big picture yes it was two points dropped but they're still not completely that far off where I expect them, expected them to be at this point as well so I think it's 22 points on the ladder off yep. 19 they're five points behind Sydney FC on the table yeah and I think as it stands they probably need another 15 points off their remaining yep. eight games to make the finals sorry it's five points behind Sydney who also have a game in hand because they've already played that 27th round catch up game already Okay, Sydney haven't, so they've got an extra game in hand as well. And Melbourne City in seventh also have got a game in hand, so it's probably not looking as rosy as 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 you look just looking at the points. But I will say on that, I do also kind of think like Sydney FC. I don't see the raw catching them. I've got my eyes on uh, possibly Western Sydney in fifth place. Who look if if you want to call that a functional club. Good luck, because I really don't see how that's working <laughs> yeah. well. At They're the in free fall at the moment, aren't they? They really are. And not, not a nice win on um, you know, broke that on Sunday, but but yeah, they, they've have got plenty of, plenty of issues, and yeah, I think their their private war against uh, FFA and APL is probably not helping the cause. Private war, well, <laughs> solo war, private you're going to get. <laughs> but okay, back to my original point. I'm looking at it now where you're. Six points off Western Sydney, who also have a game in hand. You're six points uh, behind MacArthur, who have played the an equal number of games. Those are the sides that I think, as it stands, you've got to run down. But, again, to do that, you need to be picking up points in games like this. Scott? Yeah, MacArthur's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because they're still alive in the AFC Cup as well, and at some point no, they may not. have they're to out. make a... Are they? Yeah, they lost to the no, Mariners right. on Thursday night. Yep. Oh, okay, my bad. Because I was going to say, otherwise they might have to make a really tough decision between that and also the, the league. But if they're out, then they've got full slate ahead on the league, and they're actually, what, a game out of the top two at the moment, I think, as well. So it's very, very tight 
ending up five points outside the top two. Thank you, James. So they're not too far away from their rivals. It's very, very tight in the middle of the table there. So there's a couple of teams that could go either way. And Brisbane need to start catching up against, catching up to some of those teams in and around the top six if they want to get there. And I don't think there's much margin for error for them from where they are at the moment. They're going to have to win many more than they lose from here. Yeah, and that's where I come back to. Now I feel like you've got to cause an upset at one point just to get back on level terms to where you're expected to be. Whether, whether they can do that, how they do that, that's anyone's guess, but it, it does sort of put yourself behind the eight ball. Yeah, and just looking at the schedule ahead, uh, Melbourne victory on Sunday, then Sydney in Sydney, uh, then they have MacArthur up here at it's scheduled for Ballymore at the moment, and then uh, to round out the month of March is uh, is the international break in between that, and then they have a trip to Wellington uh, to the runaway leaders. So this next four or five weeks. Uh, the season is really on the line and, and look I think in hindsight as well those two extra points they dropped uh, to Western United if you want to call it that I think it's going to be very very pivotal to that finals race it could be uh, lose both these games in the upcoming weeks and you can almost forget about finals I, I, I just cannot see it it, they need they probably need four out of six just to even stay you know stay in contention six out of six to really go and get victory in Sydney, that's like a doomsday double trying to achieve. Yeah, well, you can include the um, Perth result as well from the previous round as well, dropping the points over there after being in a winning position as well. That, coupled with the Western points as well, that could be two very, very crucial results in terms of whether Brisbane get in the finals or not. Yeah, well, the reason why I say they're only two points behind where I expected them to be um, is I think I had the Wellington game earmarked as a loss, the City game as a draw, and the Perth game as a win. So they got the order of operations a little bit different in those fixtures, but they still came away with four points. And now uh, two points dropped against Western United. It's a big ask. And, you know, I, I think there is every chance that after the Easter long weekend, we're back here talking about, all right, just finish seventh or eighth. Just avoid the Australia Cup playoffs and get yourself into the main draw for that as best, like as quickly as possible. And then... Again, enter another off-season of rebuilding, but I think you just need to make sure that you're playing meaningful football up to and including the 27th match of the season, which will technically be round 26, because... Anyway, I'm not going to get into the round-numbering system, because, uh, yeah, that's that. The other main talking point to come out of that game, though, was the injury suffered uh, by Jay O'Shea. Uh, he was injured during the first half and gutted it out till half-time before eventually succumbing. Scott... It's another blow to what has been a pretty rubbish season in terms of injuries, hasn't it? It most certainly is, and it's the one player that we'll probably cannot afford to lose in terms of Jay O'Shea's importance in this team cannot be understated. What he's done, not just this year, but the previous years as well, he's been the team's best player for at least the last 18 months, and this year as well. I know they've got other creative players now with Keegan Yelichic and Florian Berenger and Henry Hall, but his influence in this squad is massive, and... If he's not going to be available for any any length of time, it's a huge loss. So for him to be unavailable at a time where we're just talking about the raw need wins to stay in the finals picture, to have your best player unavailable is certainly a certainly undesirable, and I think it's a big loss. Of course, he could wind up getting named in the squad uh, for this Sunday. Well, hopefully he does, because they, they, they'll need him against Melbourne Victory on Sunday, so hopefully he's available. But 
if he's not available it's a big loss we'll have to wait and see on Thursday when the squads are named yeah, uh, it, was, it was interesting with uh, Joe Shea. I think the injury happened about the about thirty fifth minute or so, and a bit of a delay. And pretty much, it got to the point where Joe Coletti was actually next to the fourth official, but then um, and then but then went back and sat down and put the bit back on because Joe Shea continued. But yeah, he got to half time, but then he didn't he didn't return. So I'm not sure where how how injured he is, how bad it is. Um, I, I don't think I don't think uh, Ruben Zakovich actually gave an update in the presser. No, I can't remember if we even, if, if we even asked. <laughs> um, so it was asked. So, he didn't say a lot about it. Yeah, I, I just can't remember. But um, but yeah, but uh, and I agree that it is a big loss if if he's out for any amount of time. And you know, we're saying that it's it's must win. You know, the next couple of weeks. I think without Jar Shea, that 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 uh, mountain almost becomes Everest. Yeah, I I feel like. They're all right when it comes to creativity off the bench to like all potential replacements to cover that because you do have Marco Rojas and Florin Berenguer who have been playing super sub roles in the last couple of weeks, but now you just hope that they've got the fitness to get through ninety minutes on a Sunday afternoon in Southeast Queensland in early March. It, it's a big ask. I'm not going to say otherwise, but. It also might allow them to get that midfield balance a bit right, because I feel like that's the area where they really got let down against Western United, where all three of the mid- central midfielders were just a little bit too attack-minded, and it was forcing players to like be the square peg in the round hole when it came to that holding midfield spot. Scott? Yeah, I can see what they were trying to do in terms of really strength and a strength, because the, it's a, the Raw have a very skillful midfield James and the way they've played through there in the last few weeks it's all been about the creative players that they have you combining together and making things happen so they've tried to double down on that with at the start with with Keegan Yelichich joining or Flo, Flo Berenger being joining joining Keegan Yelichich and Joe Shea in that midfield three that was that was what they were trying to do and it worked okay but I just think it's not the right balance in the midfield you need somebody who's a little bit more solid in there who's got a little bit more of a defensive mindset in terms of just doing those defensive things that when teams are going the other way, if those guys are up the field, you need someone who can do that job. So I think there's a little bit of a imbalance there with that three, but I can understand why they did it. It just didn't quite work to the way you would hope. When they moved Henry Hoare into that position, yes, it showed his adaptability, but that's not his position. He's much more of an attacking player. He did an okay job in that role, but it did highlight to me that they do need a more defensive-minded mid- midfielder in that midfield to balance things out. And I'm trying, I, I will say, it did show that Henry Hall can play that role with a couple of caveats in terms of in a pinch and with a certain amount of desperation where you're chasing a result. But yeah, he, he is much better served playing further forward. And there was a late change to the match day squad where Taras Gamorka was uh, replaced by uh, Jonas Markovsky. And well, in a way, that really worked out quite well because it was Markovsky who scored the late equaliser. But again, it did just feel like that midfield was light on that deep-lying holding option. And I think we were all thinking that when uh, when O'Shea went off, it was like, geez, how much would you have loved to have Gamulka there just to sort of operate as that screen? I'm trying to remember the way that Zadkovic's Perth teams played last year. And it did feel a little bit more like he was leaning into that heavy attacking midfield, the... All right, well, if you want to score two, we'll score three 
sort of approach and look I, I, I'm all for those sort of end-to-end games that feature plenty of goals but I also want to, I also want to see this team set up best to win and yeah I, I suppose just getting that balance right is something that is going to need to be addressed as the week goes on Adam yeah, I it was, uh, I know it was out of necessity, but I didn't I didn't really like um, Henry Hall being that deep. I, I think it it really sort of negated what he what he does best. Yes, of course, losing Joe Shea, it's a massive hole. You just don't surrender that. But uh, yeah, I, I I thought that it wasn't yeah it it basically did did um, take away Henry Hall's strength. So uh, yeah, I, I I know hindsight's a wonderful thing in that you know no, no one anticipated. I, th- I know why it brought Markovsky into the squad uh, at the expense of Tarskamulka. You know, yes, and yes, that uh, Markovsky did get the equaliser, but I reckon they would want, at the time, at, ha- at half time that game, I, I think they would have wanted uh, Tarskamulka in that side. So I think he probably he probably goes into that role before Joe Coletti. It did, did take away from Henry Hall's game, but it also added to it as well in terms of think about the through ball to Corey Brown for that equaliser coming from that central area. That's the sort of stuff Henry Orr can do in a central role. I'm just not sure about him being deep, deeper line with it. He's probably better in a more advanced central role, but it did show that he can certainly do a job in the middle of the park. If he was playing as a dual deeper line midfielder with, say, a Gamulka, different story. But if he's taking on that sole defensive responsibility himself, that's where I feel like you're sort of limiting his powers. Um... Now, we will go to the three two ones, and because I'm talking now, I'll just give you mine for the match. Uh, and, Adam, I may need some clarification on this, because I know it was Henry Hoare and Thomas Waddingham for the two and three votes, but I can't remember what the exact order was. Okay, so I'll read, I'll read out your votes. Thank you. Uh, so, James's votes, three points Henry Hoare, two Thomas Waddingham, one Corey Brown. There we go. And I think that equal... And that shows the professionalism of Adam next. He could have really stitched you up <laughs> given anything then. Why, 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 did I get, why did I give three points to three guys who played in the NPL side? <laughs> who, by the way, uh, one, one nil lost to Brisbane City. So if you've seen how Brisbane City looked in the uh, Kappa Pro series as well, that's not the worst outcome for that uh, raw NPL side. Um, let's go back to the A-League and talk about... The league-wide headline. Uh, so we'll try and keep this quick, but let's go to you first, Scott, since I can stitch you up. Uh, you can stitch me up. It was a in- interesting weekend. Was I'll give a shout-out to the Central Coast Mariners, their first ever win away from home against Melbourne Victory. It's not an easy place to go from Brisbane's perspective, we know that, for them to go down there and get those three points. After Wellington dropped points on the Saturday evening away to Perth, that, could have been, that result could be crucial to Central Coast climbing back into the Premiership race, which looked like Wellington, it was theirs to lose. It's, they still got control, but the Mariners are closing fast. It could be a very interesting end of the year, so shout out the Mariners for a, a very good win away from home for Melbourne, against Melbourne Victory. Adam? Uh, the nine-man Melbourne Victory in the end. Yeah, uh, I'm going to focus back on to the distance derby uh, as well. Uh, and eight and, a, eight and a half thousand at, at uh, HBF Park, so sort of back-to-back bumper crowds, I guess, for them, given the turmoil that they've had this season under the uh, in Game 2 of the uh, Pellegria Group sort of ownership as well, and given that there was 52,000 uh, 52, down the road at Optus Stadium for, for the WWE, I thought that was a very, very good turnout. 
I did actually see uh, making the rounds online the sign of saying I missed the distance derby for this and WrestleMania. So yep. there you go. Um, my big takeaway from the league is actually not so much to do with the on-field action, but it feels like we reached this point in mid to late February every season where everyone online just seems to get that little bit overly hysterical about every little thing. And look, I know the refereeing in Melbourne Victory Central Coast wasn't great. There were some contentious calls, but it feels like now, my God, just tone down the hyperbole. The league is not sitting there. Like, the league is not broken because you didn't like some of the calls. Like, we've seen it with Western Sydney. Uh, we've seen it with other managers blowing up as well, where just the hyperbole around every little thing goes wrong. Like, yeah, Ben Halloran's red card for Adelaide. I mean, what, you stomp on the back of a guy's calf. What do you expect? Just settle down a little bit. It, it's been go- I know it's been going for a few months now, but jeez, like, Tone it down a little bit. And in fairness on that last one, that was a straight-up decision on the field from Alex King as well. I'm pretty sure it was Alex King. It was from the referee anyway. So it was straight, just gave it, didn't didn't rely on the F1's favourite VAR, just gave it straight away. Yeah, and this isn't signalling out a specific, like, fan base as well. We've got plenty of overly hysterical people in the Raw supporters uh, group because, well, just take a look at some of the comments on the uh, next discussion point to see that logic can sometimes take a back seat to trying to get engagement online. Um, but, yeah, I just... Yeah, I just feel like, at some point, get a little bit overly defensive and sensitive about this stuff. Yeah, the Josh Nisbet miss wasn't great, but, geez, if, you, if you've watched Chelsea in the last two to three years, you'll also see some of the Premier League footballers aren't doing that great either, especially the ones on several million pounds per week. Just, uh, Happy just, first about that would have been Patrick Wood, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But look, look, just just quickly, uh, just a note on that uh, Josh Nisbet miss. Uh, how about you actually give give um, Paul Izzo and the defend, victory defenders credit to actually get back and and and, and stop it, at least uh, put up you know, some sort of resistance. Like that could have easily been, uh, you know, what empty net goal like in hockey, two nil. Thanks for coming, but they, at least they got back and defended. And you did that bit of slice of luck, but just also as well before that, the uh, Jordi Valdon red card. Uh, I'm not sure if everyone's caught up on the news on that, but uh, the MRP dismissed the appeal for uh, a wrongful for what's the term the wrong wrongful uh, application of the of the of the red card and so uh, he'll he'll serve his one match ban so and and even and just to go to your point james yeah there's a lot of hyperbole saying oh the mrp don't have a clue what they're, they're doing yeah just because a referee makes a decision like it, i find it hilarious that all of the outrage this weekend has come what a week two weeks after the stats on how many referees are forced to withdraw from the game where like because of the fact that they just cop all sorts of abuse and you have this weekend where everyone just loses their tiny little minds look at this we're arguing about the refereeing and I thought the VR was meant to solve all this what a marvellous impact it's having look at it we're still arguing about referee decisions it's just like old times yeah because, well, anyway be, let's move on yeah, well again that goes down to the implementation of VAR not the system itself but Anyway, let's move on to the actual news. That's a whole other show itself. Oh, yeah. Uh, Some good news. Uh, Brisbane Royal Captain Tom Aldred is now officially an Australian citizen. Um, It was announced by the club and Aldred himself yesterday. And uh, 
well, that means he'll still be taking up a visa spot for the rest of the season. But if he opts to stay with the Raw, which he could be up off contract at the end of the year, it was never officially confirmed how long his deal was for when he signed that extension last time. But uh, he will be able to be counted as a local player. So that's good news. And um, quick little backstory. like A lot of those photos that you would have seen were actually taken at the Anzac Day game earlier this season as well, where... Uh, yeah. Last season. Yeah. Last season. <laughs> last year, last season. Either way. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been in the works for a while and it's finally been able to get over the line. So good news as well for Tom Aldred. Now... This needs to come with a, not just a grain of salt, a massive lump of salt, but um, FTBL's Dave Lewis is saying that the Raw are targeting Kieran Backus. Okay. Veteran defensive midfielder, probably not really the most pressing issue in this squad, but it does raise a couple of other questions as well uh, that I want to pose to you guys, where we're assuming Casper uh, Tafter and Zach Anderson are heading up the recruitment along with Shane Stefanuto in the football department. Are they recruiting for Ruben Zadkovic to be the coach next season, Scott? I think they're recruiting regardless of whoever's going to be the coach because at the moment you don't know what's going to happen with the Ben Khan situation. Will he come back? Will it be Ruben Zadkovic? That, so they may know the answer internally. Publicly, we don't know. So I think they have to plan just for recruiting the best possible players that they can. And I know you said that you don't think it's the most important area. It might not be, but I think it's a very important area for them to recruit him because it is an area where they are short at the moment. They have a lot of skillful, creative attacking midfield players. Having that defensive-minded midfield, they don't really have it. So is he the player I would choose? Well, you'd have to have a look at who's available, but they need a player of that type. And I think it's not a... Look, again, take it with a grain of salt because the whole story is basically reads like MacArthur want to keep him and they're aware of the Raw's interests. So that's really all there is to the story but they need a player like that whether it's him or someone else I think they need to bring a player like that in in the off season Adam Pardaloo uh, <coughs> Bratton Corona those players all were part of you know of, of very very good teams with very very good players that's what the Raw need they need a player like Akira Mbakas I'm not saying that you know him himself but a player like him but the only thing I like I said I, it's, it's all speculation the only uh, note I take from this article is the use of the word Raw are quote poaching him he's out, he's out of contract at the end of the season where well, clubs can talk to him then the Raw aren't poaching him he, he, it doesn't take a genius to work out where this story came yeah, from. Yeah, it? it's just, you know... No, we're not allowed to guess that on this show, are we? No. It, we're like, not going to guess it, but you can read it and work it out for absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. That's just the only objection. You know what? And if if, he, if, Kieran, if a player like Kieran Backus is available, the Raw will be nuts not to be at least interested. But to to quote, to be poaching him, makes it sound like that, you know, he's, he's, he's on he's on three-year deal. But if you read the article, Backus is out of contract in the season. Um, it, since it's not cool to source guess, we're just going to say this may also be the same source that leaked that the Raw were uh, taking. Was it Danny De Silva out to dinner in 2018? Uh, something like that. <laughs> uh, there's, a long, there's a long list of... Clients. Yeah, I think, yeah, fanciful, <laughs> fanciful stories that have come up over the years. So, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll move on. And I look forward to his contract extension at MacArthur being announced in the next couple of Bumper weeks. Bumper contract extension, remember? Mm. That, 
that that's some nice negotiating in the public yeah. there. Um, moving on, Matilda's three 0 over Uzbekistan in the first leg of the uh, Olympic qualifiers. So, second leg in Melbourne tomorrow night, as we're recording Wednesday night, depending on when you're listening to this. Seems like they're well on the way to Paris as well, Scott. Yeah, they're well on the way to Paris. It took them a while to get the opening goal in this game, then they came in a, in a flood at the end. It was a tough tough place to go given the weather conditions. They went from warm and sunny Dubai into to snowy Uzbekistan and got the points, all got the three goals, which set them up perfectly for the home leg here, which will be a, a full crowd back at back down there in Melbourne at Docklands, and I think they'll win that game quite comfortably and progress through to Paris, which we all expected that they would do, but they had to go and do it, and shout out Caitlin Torpy, who made her debut in this game, another Queenslander in the national team. And I will just point out before we go to you, Adam, as well, there was a point where I saw the halftime score nil-nil and thought, oh, geez, like, <laughs> they might make them sweat it out a little bit, but uh, thanks in part to the returning Michelle Heyman, it actually turned out to be a pretty comfortable scoreline in the end. I can guarantee you there was absolutely no sweating in those conditions. It was freezing, and I think that you know, whoever designed, designed that 2pm local time kickoff, I think is actually looking like a genius, because you imagine that kicking off at 7 o'clock. Yeah, it would have been... Um, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of frozen players. I think it's a case of where the travel and the and the actual conditions are probably tougher than the opponent themselves. And look, I expect them to absolutely run right tomorrow night, Wednesday night at Marvel, and uh, be a nice little send off before the uh, Olympics. Good to see the Mackenzie Arnold kits available as well. It sounds like they've sold very very Not well anymore. on the debut. Well, they were available. It sounds like they sold very very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, Maybe it another one of those might be needed. Yeah, it was great for the 10 uh, minutes uh, that they were actually available on the website. I'm holding out. How about how about that? Nike have hit another, found another gold mine. Yeah, who, who would have thought? Uh, I'm just now wait. Yeah. I'm just now waiting for the uh, black goalkeeper kit. And also, if we're making requests of Nike as well, I kind of forgot to get the Socceroos away kit for the 2022 World Cup. So another run of those uh, might be needed as well. Yep, goalie kit's going to be the new the new kits for sale every everywhere now. Why not? All right. Now on to what will basically take up the rest of the show. Uh, we posed a question last night on our socials. Um, the move back to Suncorp and if it's worked, has it been a success and why or why not? Best answers will get read out on the show. We've posted it on a few different platforms. Now, I do want to preface this with a little bit of a caveat where I was hoping for some constructive answers, not just wah, 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 I hate it, it sucks, it doesn't suit me. We did actually get some good responses, and we do appreciate the thought out and considered feedback as well. Um, So I'll I'll run through some of the answers before uh, we'll give our thoughts on it as well. Um, So we had Kate uh, on Facebook say, I don't think you can tell if it's worked based off this season. Friday night games, catering for daylight savings and near constant wet weather games are really doing no favours to the attendance. I agree, like, the conditions haven't helped. 6.45 kickoff, probably a little bit too early, but, yeah. Uh, Brendan says, we broke five-figure attendance once this season. Could be a second time this weekend with victory coming. Wishful thinking. Only way it's failed isn't the club or the fans' fault. It lies with Suncorp itself, lack of care and field maintenance and their staff and security overbearing on the fans. One week, there's no issues at all. Next week, small things cause problems. We have heard plenty of stories about some of the issues in the den. I don't necessarily think it's the lack of care in the field maintenance. I think it just comes down to the fact that you're going to what is a multi-purpose venue. Um, 
and that's been the that's been the main issue where all of a sudden you're not playing on a surface where you are the primary uh, tenants uh, tenants that should say um, Wes says the condition of the pitch is not the reason for the lack of attendance uh, clubs poor off field decisions over the last 10 years they lost sight of what fans wanted disconnected from the community that supports them made poor who decisions said that? The- Wes on Facebook okay um, this is in response to that uh, APL keeps scheduling our games at the worst times Queensland team should never play afternoon game in the summer kick off at 6.45 on a Friday night doesn't allow fans time to get home from work etc etc um, Miguel moved back to Suncorp alone wasn't going to get fans back venue will be exciting factor for some but the biggest issue is the club isn't connected to its fan base um, I will strongly disagree with that I'll get into that a little bit later on um, revolving door of coaches, recruitment strategy, uh, build of lack of a relationship with its members. Uh, Daniel says, judging if it's worked is still premature. Multi-season journey to repair multi-season damage. Um, is it, but is it going as well as we'd hoped when returning? I'll give it a resounding no. Uh, attendance has dropped off 5,000 on Friday night. Won't cut it. Um, just trying to remember as well. Uh, George talks about uh, the move to Redcliffe, turning off a lot of fans, uh, losing a few from the south side as well and stopping the buses to the game. Although, the buses didn't actually stop for that game, did they? I think they're on again. I think they're on now, aren't they, the buses? Yeah, they're, they're on again now. There was just that, it was just that one game where there was a bit of, uh, a bit of a miscommunication slash uh, the part, each party were blaming each other, and they, but they've, they've been restored and... Uh, and, and yeah yeah um, so this is just some of the responses as well um, yeah Richard on Facebook also says uh, owner spent money on a big name coach big name play if the owner spent money on a big name coach big name players follow uh, sitting top or second with an unbeaten run behind his tendencies would be 10 to 15 thousand maybe 20 then less well no one would notice the playing surface etc I mean, like, that's what we've been saying for how many years now? Where they talk about, you know, it is a fair-weather fan culture here in Australia, plain and simple. Like, if you win, people show up. Take a look at the Lions. They could barely they could barely get a local drawing audience when they were struggling, but now they're selling out games because they're winning. And, I like, the main reason why I brought up this question as well is because I'm a red season ticket holder. I've been going to... Reds games since the mid-1990s. I love rugby union as much as I love football. And they got 15,000 on a hot, humid, sticky, wet night against the Waratahs. And I looked at that and thought, how can rugby, which has had its own share of problems over the last little while, draw anywhere near as well? So, Adam, I want to go to you. Just take a break from me reading out the comments. Do you feel like this has been a successful move so far? Look, I'm I'm in the uh, undecided slash, you know, too early to tell um, sort of group. A, because I, I think, I feel as though that it depends on what you measure success. And we're not going to know what that what that measurement is because financially, uh, it's probably it's probably been a deep failure, where where basically even though we, we did we did some maths and um, 
and, and we worked out that so the crowd crowd attendances on average are up are up thirty percent on on just pure numbers. But then does that retreat for because of you know free membership uh, free free tickets promotion comp tickets you know just just there's a multitude of factors and at the end of the day. Unless someone's actually willing to sort of, you know, truthfully tell the truth about the financial position, that's one measurement of success. The rest, I think, is actually quite, it's quite neutral as far as, you know what, you, you, may, have, well, you may have got back a couple, you know, a fan base, a base, you know, more on the south side, as opposed to the, you've, you've alienated again the north side that, you know, that did attend Redcliffe, now don't want to travel all the way into town. Um, there's been factors like weather, you know, just performance. A lot of people just turned off because of the Raw, the, the Raw brand. As much as as a Kaz and, and Zach have tried, the Raw brand is still on the nose of a lot of people, especially some long-time people who felt betrayed a long time ago. It's going to take a lot more than a new face, a couple of new faces in management to bring them back. I actually think that the owners themselves, I think that getting rid of them might bring people back so look I'm, I'm in summary for me I and I answered in that as I'm undecided because I just don't think there's enough um, empirical evidence so far to actually say it's a successful failure but there are different uh, metrics that you can actually judge on that and there's stuff that we're not privy to Scott yeah just firstly before I give my answer the, the numbers are it's an average of 7,037 people this year at home games at at our Suncorp Stadium. Last year, up at the uh, games played up at uh, Dolphins Stadium, so can't t- take away the three games played at Suncorp. The average crowd up at Dolphins was 4,470. So that's a 3,000-person increase on those grounds from year to year. In terms of expecting 10,000 crowds at Suncorp Stadium, do you realise the last time the Raw averaged over 10,000 a year? James, do you know what year that was? I'm going to guess 17, 18. It was the first, no, it was 1617, the first year that we recorded this show. They averaged 13,800 that year. Then it was 9,000, 9,000, 7,000, which was the um, the COVID, the first COVID year where they were still playing at Suncorp. Then after that, they moved to Dolphin. So that's how long it's been since they averaged 10,000 people a year. So 7,000 puts them basically back where they were in the last full year at um, Suncorp, if you like. So that's where they are. They've gone back to that level of crowd so you can make your own mind up whether you think that's correct whether it's a success or not but to me the answer to the whole question is it's apathy I think it starts with the ownership group and Adam mentioned that a new ownership group might reinvigorize the market and I think the way people are at the moment they don't trust the ownership group whatsoever and this is nothing to do with Kaz and Zach and the people on the ground here this is the people in Indonesia where there's real apathy. It feels like there's real apathy from them. Do you get a sense, James, that they have a, a burning desire for the Raw to get back to the top? Or are they just ba- balancing the business and keeping it running? Because I think that's what that's what it comes down to. I don't think I don't get a sense that they desperately want the Raw to win this year. That, that's what, I, yeah. I think the, the fan base have cottoned onto that fact and they are also viewing it that way. And the fact that the results have gone from... Look, this fan base has been spoiled rotten. Let's be brutally honest about that I mean 10 years ago the amount of grand finals and big finals that this club was playing in men and women's was astronomical and then that's faded away a lot in the last decade so you couple that with that I think the the fan base being accustomed to and used to and expecting success plus the ownership group not appearing to be as emotionally invested as you would like 
has seen a, a section of the fan base decide they're not going to be emotionally invested either. And I think that's why the crowd numbers are, are where they are. Yeah. Okay. That that makes total sense. And like, and that's on I, that's I, on the that's on the owners. That's not on anyone on the ground here. Yeah. And that's where I also well to answer your question as well. It feels like they want the club to be successful, but operating within a very strict set of means. But you, ne- you never see them or you never hear from them here. That's the thing. No, and that's where I think, like, again, that's one thing that you will you do have to give the new management on the ground yep. credit for, where they're at least putting... Like, they've had more communication this year directly, whether it's been those uh, statements on the website or anything like that. They're at least offering more communication than I think we got. And that's under. why I made that clear delineation. This yeah, is yeah. not about Kazan's act. This is about the ownership group. But it does feel like, as it stands, they are operating with at least one arm tied behind their back. Uh, some of the other responses we seem to be... Uh, well, we've gotten as well. Uh, John uh, from the Royal Supporters Federation. Suncorp is the right place, but it's too big. Needs a small 10,000-seat stadium close to the city. Uh, attending is good, but lack of fans... Uh, Fan support is biggest problem. Coach problems have been the downfall of the team. Um, uh, this is on Twitter. Uh, Farquo. I swear I'm not swearing. <laughs> That's just the name. Uh, Redcliffe had a poor match day experience. Not enough amenities. Big crowds meant long waits for food. Barely any shade and poor transport options. It, it wasn't perfect, but... Um, and it was a long way away for a lot of people. Some got better location, but the size... Is making it impossible to build on. Can't see an immediate fix. Uh, Suncorp, Nick says Suncorp is too big. Discussion should be around how the club can do more to fill the ground and get closer to ten to 15,000 average we used to have. Uh, Kurt says originally people were excited to go back to Suncorp, me included. However, it's a rental that the Raw don't have control of the pitch, which needs to be improved to avoid disruptions to, spike, to strikers. They need to build the 20,000 seat stadium, stop being the rental Raw. Uh, Ross Ball Forever, that's a name that hasn't quite aged as well as we might have hoped. Uh, ultimately, it's the only option available until Ballymore slash other options are re- ready. Weather and managers and issues haven't helped. Uh, number of Thursday-Friday matches has equally not helped. Our top two attended matches were Saturday-Sunday, which are clearly family-friendly time slots. Um, those are the best responses uh, we've gotten. Uh, I'll just go back to one on Facebook as well. It's an improvement over Red, uh, from Thomas. It's an improvement over Redcliffe as distance is less of a problem, but ultimately it's shown we can't pull a crowd big enough to merit paying for the venue. Is it, is it a success? Probably not. Is it an improvement? Probably yes. That's that's about as close as where I find myself landing on it. And also why I say this season, it has not been a success. I don't think it has worked for the Raw because yes, there's 3,000 people on average more attending so far, but it's got the last few matches. I think they're averaging about five and a half thousand per game. If you can just uh, bring that up and clarify for me, I don't have the average for you, but the the last four home games have been five thousand two hundred seventy eight, five thousand three hundred twenty seven, seven thousand two hundred eighty eight, and four thousand nine hundred and ninety two. Okay, so let's that was the Macarthur, Wellington, Melbourne City, and Western games. Yeah, so. The main responses that I'm finding in the comments section there, scheduling, the cost of going, and the results. And again, look, I, I can't really say too much more about the fair weather nature of sporting fans here in Australia. It's a problem that everybody has had to deal with across every code. 
But the scheduling thing keeps jumping out at me where I go back to my suggestion from maybe 12 months ago, two years ago, where I would be really interested to see the clubs take over scheduling. So rather than having... Like, you have two time slots per week which are designed for TV, a Friday night and a Sunday evening. And, like, every other club gets to play their matches on a Saturday. They pick the kickoff time. And if there are complaints about simultaneous fixtures, too bad. Like, learn learn to deal with it as well. Because if you want the raw kicking off at 7.30 on a a Saturday night here in Brisbane to avoid an impact on the weather, great. There'll be another uh, game next year anyway. We, if Auckland coming in and potentially can, but that's another fixture in the A-League men's anyway. Yes. So you, you're going to need another window anyway, which doesn't exist. So simultaneous kickoffs are coming, and your your idea is not a bad one. I I think... Simultaneous that- kickoffs happen all over the world, so you can't even blame the Euro snobs for that, because no one in the history of the world can actually say, I've watched every game of the Premier League season this season, because it's Live. impossible. Live. Yes. And 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 the amount of and the amount of people that that actually watch the A League, watch every game live, is you, you probably you could probably you're talking probably in the tens. Yeah, I, I, there wouldn't be that many. So for for anyone to blow up about oh I don't like simultaneous kickoffs, that, that's 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 bullcrap. Because at the end of the day, you're catering to a very very small audience. In that, and I think that the more important thing is allow the clubs to maximise where and when, where and when that they play their games, and then allow the broadcaster to then pick and choose which games to then go into the prime slots. Yeah, because I can guarantee if you're playing that Sydney derby this weekend at four p oh five p.m. Sunday night or Sunday evening Sydney time. It's still going to get a damn good crowd because it's Sydney Derby. Although, maybe not if they're actually charging. You can have a TV window Saturday night at 7.30 if you like, but it's not going to be an exclusive window purely for that game. Yeah, okay. If if Network 10 want a game Saturday night, 7.30pm in the eastern Sydney Melbourne markets, okay, fine. But it's not going to be the only game. Other clubs can choose that window if they like. Yeah, that makes sense. And worst case scenario, you augment the free-to-air coverage, which I think is still the most important part of whatever broadcast deal they're going to have going forward I that to me is the most important you can augment it by saying hey we've got a goal from the game down at Amy Park let's check out that during this break in play like, you, you've yeah, seen and they can do a they were full half an hour an hour post game recapping all the other games played at that time slot yeah and this is also something I wanted to mention 15 minutes ago but completely forgot this is purely about the A-League men's because Let's be honest, the A-League women's attendance this season has been pretty damn good. Not just in Brisbane, yeah. but pretty much The World Cup the- boost has been there. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, this is very much an A-League men's specific thing, but I just go back to the fact that for all the complaints about going to Redcliffe, a 3,000-person bump in the average attendance to go back to Suncorp has not been worth it. And the only the, argument against that, James, is what would the crowds at Redcliffe have been this year? That's the question. Would they have been the same, or would they have been would they have been more? Would they have been less? It's impossible to know, but that is a variable you have to consider. But I, I think if if you're pulling four thousand up at Redcliffe, knowing the financial state of the club, mm. I think if you're pulling four thousand at Redcliffe, it is 
better for the financial health of the Raw than getting at what five thousand for three of the last four games at Suncorp. Now, whether or not the Friday night games have worked, this is a decision that the A League made. I want to say almost ten years ago now, where they've said we are having the same kickoff times every single week. The Friday night game will always kick off at 7.45pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And if it's in Brisbane, it's 6.45. If it's in Adelaide, uh, it's 7.15. It kicks off at that time so that people know when they sit down at that time on a Friday night, that's when the football should be on. Now, it's funny, uh, that 7.15 time in Adelaide seems to work really well for them. The amount of good crowds they've had on a Friday night. They seem like about the only club Friday night works. Also, maybe if you're going to have Friday night games, they should have the majority of them because it seems to work for them. Yeah, and I would also really like to see some sort of concession where move it back to seven, just seven o'clock, seven fifteen. Because all I seem to keep hearing is it's just too hard for people to get home from work and then back to Suncorp Stadium. And I wish I could remember where I saw it because this was actually also a really salient point on the matter as well. Post-COVID with work from home, and it seems like a lot of people are now working from home on a Friday, the idea of going from the office to Suncorp for the 6.30, 6.45 kickoff doesn't really work as well anymore. That's actually a very good point you bring up, James. I wish I could remember we, who it we was, haven't, yeah. We haven't considered... Um, it will be about those Friday night games uh, that, you know, because since the last time we were at Suncorp Stadium, is once upon a time before COVID... Like the city was bustling, it was full, and and you're right. A lot of people and a lot and a lot of your walk-up attendance came from the fact that oh, let's let's go let's, like workers. Oh, let's go let's go to the game after. We'll just buy a ticket at, at the ground. We'll have a few beers, you know, at, at the at the game because there's some there's something on. Oh, we'll go to Cactus for drinks on Friday. Oh, there's a game on. Let's go down. Yeah, down the game. not necessarily even being the raw. It's just there is an event on at Suncorp Stadium. Let's go and celebrate the end of the work week. But as we know, the city has not bounced bounced back since COVID. Everything is a lot more decentralised out in the suburbs. But then that opens up the case of less walk up, and also people just saying, "Nah, I can't be stuffed going away into the city." So I think that, that that's a very, very interesting factor. I think that a lot of people may not have picked up. I'm glad you brought that up, James, because that is a huge factor of what used to be what made Friday night games at least enticing. And I've always felt it was a different crowd on a Friday night compared to a Saturday night because it's a more casual, not exactly a football crowd. Yeah, and you do have the... Well, you have that on the Saturday night as well, but... Like the, yeah, it's Friday night. Let's have a bit of fun. We've got the weekend ahead of us. Um, I really do wish I could remember who said it there because... It is a good point. It also goes back to the apathy argument as well. Yeah. But, and that's the other thing as well, where, like, you guys get in on APL media accreditation. I get in, like, because of uh, the pregame stuff with Hinksy as well. But there is also just the fact that tickets to these games can be damn expensive. And it is part and parcel of renting a venue like Suncorp where it's just an expensive proposition because you need to get security, the catering stand, all of that as well. And it just, it is an expensive night out as well where we are in, I hate to use the line, but a cost of living crisis where all of a sudden the 50 bucks you might spend on uh, just a ticket and a drink at Suncorp isn't there 
I'm, I'm pretty sure, so I'm sure some someone in our comments on this actually brought this up. They didn't actually use the word cost of living crisis, but about about the tickets. And it's very, very easy for us to sit back as being those in, in, you know, in the game and whatnot and bash the fans because I, I felt like coming out and saying, this is what the fans want and they haven't responded. But I, I sort of tempered that, that attitude because at the end of the day, we are in we are in a cost of living crisis, and a lot of discretionary funds, you know, are not there to go to the football. Imagine, you know, like I said, we we all like I said, we don't pay for tickets. I I first admit because of our accreditation or involvement and stuff. But asking a family of four, you know, two two adults two adults two children to go to a game, like I said, you're looking at 70, 80 bucks, and you know, like I said, at the moment the raw is not must is not must see. It's not appointment viewing, as far as going to the ground, and that's and that's the problem for for whatever reasons that we have brought up in the last half an hour. That's that's the main fact. And until they do become that, uh, that that is always going to be a critical factor why the crowds are down and why whether this is a success or not. Yeah, and the Raw's competition is not just against the other summer sporting codes here, like the Bullets and the Brisbane Heat and the Tennis, and coming into the our winter now with the Lions, the Broncos, and the Reds. It's any discretionary spending, James. It's just go to the Raw game or go to the movies. Go to the Raw game or go to a theme park. Right? That's the that's your competition. And with the, at your point with the with the cost of living the way it is at the moment, people are not used don't have as much discretionary income to spend, and that's also a, probably a part of the reason why the, the tickets are are not being snapped up as much as they have been in years gone by. And I can guarantee that. There have been nights where, like even going back to the Redcliffe games, where if I just had my season ticket, I honestly, like, well, some of those midweek games up at Redcliffe and stuff, I would have just said, I've got Paramount Plus, I'll just watch it online. Like, I know Simon Hill's commentating, I know Robbie Thompson's commentating. Like, that, that's not a bad alternative as well. Um, but I will say as well, I, I do want to end this segment on a bit of a positive note. So we will say... A big thank you to everyone who actually provided constructive feedback. Um, If you're listening to this show now, uh, feel free to jump into the comments, send us a message on our socials uh, about ways that you would like to... things you would like to see the Raw and the APL in general address when it comes to finding ways to boost the attendance. Like, what if you've stopped going to Raw games, what would make you want to come back? Whether Whether it is the ultimate extreme of new ownership or whether it's just something as simple as moving the Friday kickoffs back half an hour 45 minutes just something like that I am really curious I want to try and keep this discussion going and I want to try and make it constructive rather than just I'll give one suggestion for the APL by the way on what they can do stop scheduling the same club men and women to be played at the same time on the same day it's ridiculous Yep. I know that's not a Friday night problem but how many times have A-League clubs had to have their men and women play at the same time in different, in different cities? It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So Don't tell one, me you one, can't change the scheduling around to fix that. That's an easy fix. There's one final point I, I want to add as well, is that, and this is what, for me, is a litmus test, and almost the timing of why we even discussed this. 16th of March, Brisbane Raw play MacArthur. At this stage, I say at this stage, just in case it changes, it's scheduled at Ballymore. I've been told it's going ahead at Ballymore. Yeah. Yeah. For all the griping about if you've got a problem with Suncorp Stadium, but for whatever reason, 
here's the opportunity. And I think that, that for me, I'll be interested to see what that attendance is, where it's better or worse, because that will that will then sort of indicate, you know, whether it's the issue is with Suncorp Stadium, or whether it's the issue with the, with the club, or it's just the issue with the fan base, or it's just an issue with the, the times we live in ec- economically. So that, that to me, the 16th of March, that is a very, very important, um, I guess, barometer of what is going on as far as the, as, as the club and its relationship with the fans and just viewing in general. Yeah. All right. So I did want to end on a positive note, and I will say probably the best uh, part of the move back to Suncorp has been the improvement in the den, where there were a couple of games yes. at Redcliffe where it was maybe 20, 25 people, but it seems like every week we're all saying how good yeah. the den has been. And there's a y- the new new younger group in the den this year, and it's only added a lot of vibrancy to the active support. Yeah, I, I, I actually go say, oh my god, that if you didn't have the den, the atmosphere would be absolutely tragic. So, look, uh, absolutely kudos to them. Just remember, boys, just stay within the laws. Yeah, just yeah, and again, communication in this situation can be your best friend. Just keep the lines of discussion open work with the stakeholders and that will make things a whole lot easier as well i know you two especially you scott were quite involved in the active support a decade ago communication is your best friend but yeah, yeah. well and done. once you lose that line of communication it's all basically all over and it's all about give and take but yeah the yeah, de- don't don't give don't give those that are that we perceived as against uh football and football active support don't give them a reason yeah. To, to really clamp down on you because that's what they're looking for if, if I'm being frank that give them if don't give them a reason enjoy yourselves do everything within the laws work with the stakeholders and you know what we'll all be entertained indeed because you've, you've all been doing a good job for sure alright well um, hey we filled out a whole episode how about that do you want to give a yeah. two minute preview of these games at the weekend yes Scott what are you looking for against victory uh, they need to win both, both games men and women they need to win I think it's almost must-win for both the A-League women on Saturday against Melbourne City and also Sunday against Melbourne Victory. Two wins against teams from Melbourne. It's not going to be easy. City is sitting second in the A-League women's victory, I think a third or fourth in the A-League men's. But what you said earlier, James, about you need to get a win against the grain to try and make up from where these last couple of weeks have been. I think they need to win win these games if they're going to start making up ground towards the finals. Yep, uh, I... Well, you basically took my preview right out of my mouth. It's win or go home for the men and the women. Adam, what about you? Yeah, I think the women, it's going to be a tough one for them. I think Melbourne City are, are absolutely flying in Dara Vyasic and that, and that team. I think they're, they're eyeing off the uh, the premiership still. Uh, the men's side of things, look, I think that they could, uh, they could actually shock Melbourne Victory if they play at their best and they and they really sort of you know use a home field advantage. Uh, so I, I actually think yeah the men might surprise at least get a point. Uh, but you're right if they don't if they don't win I think finals are gone. Women's finals is gone. Yeah. No, Roderick Miranda is a big loss of victory. I'm sure they've got an adequate cover, but him not being there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Jordy Valadon off the bench they can cover that. Eli Adams will probably come onto the bench for that, but I'm. That's the one they've got to cover, Roderick Miranda at the back. Hopefully, there's a nice gaping hole in the Melbourne victory defence that, that um, Tommy Waddingham can exploit. Yeah, I, I, I'm i hoping for a 2-1 win. We'll just have to uh, wait and see how that all plays out. And, um, yeah, we've also got another busy weekend coming up in the local game as well. Biggest game uh, coming up is the Gold Coast Derby 
on Friday night, uh, and you can catch, uh, well, I hope, me commentating it, uh, as long as I don't manage to suffer some sort of regression uh, with this sinus infection. So that will be... And hopefully uh, coverage on our socials as well. Um, yeah, we... Accreditation we, yeah. pending. Yeah. Yeah. We may be there, we may not. Ball is in Football Queensland's court and the and Australia Post. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you guys again. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you and good night. And uh, make sure you're getting out to all of the football this weekend. You are absolutely spoiled for choice across the NPL, FQPL, Queensland Cup, Kappa, Kappa Pro Series. Oh, and both the A-League teams are playing in Brisbane as well. Uh, the Raw women are at home Saturday. The Raw men are at home Sunday. Uh, make sure you get out to as many games as you can. We'll be back to review it all on the Brisbane Football Review. Remember, NPL Sunday night, recapping all the local action. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in the stadium discussion. Have a good night.